But anyway, good morning. Today, I want to carry on our theme of discipleship and hospitality. So if you remember last week, we had to take a little bit of a pause for some inconvenient baptisms. Uh, Somebody came to me after the service and said, this is going to end up being a monthly thing, isn't it? I said, no, I want it to become a weekly thing. So when we do get our own building, we're going to dig a hole, fill it with water, and we will just have weekly baptisms. But prior to that, if you remember, we took a a week just to introduce what we meant about hospitality. And I don't know if uh, many of you heard after the service, Carol also stood up and shared what uh, discipleship meant to her. The week previous to that is we we talked to you about the vision of the church and about the season that we were going to be in of hospitality and discipleship. So if we've given you the introduction to the series Hospitality and Discipleship, and we've talked about discipleship, I thought it was about time that we stopped and talked about hospitality. I'm probably not going to talk about the Bible verses you're expecting me to talk about today. But the Lord has really spoken to me through Matthew 25. So if you want to turn to it, everything we're going to do today is going to come through Matthew 25, 31 to 46. And it has a really unusual title. It's a title that man gave it. It's not what the Word of God said. We added it later. But it's called a parable. A parable is a story. It means it's an illustration. It means it never actually happened. But it was Jesus trying to make his point to his followers so that they would learn. And learn in a way that they would understand. So they sometimes use stories and illustrations that might be a bit alien to 2020 culture in the UK, but would have been very common in Middle Eastern culture 2,000 years ago. So later on, we called it the parable of the sheep and goats. I don't know how many sheep and goats you have in your backyard, but I don't have any. I used to when I was in Bristol. And Somerset. So to understand the parable, I'm going to read it to you first, but to understand the parable, we have to understand that this was written in a different culture, in a culture where they would have understood this a little bit better than us. So I'm going to try and help us unwrap it a little bit. Now, I don't know if you've ever looked into a field and seen some sheep. Have you? As you've been driving along the motorway, maybe, or through the country lanes? I would challenge you on this, is next time you do that, can you prove to me that they were sheep? and not goats. Because you have this childlike image of a goat. Billy, Billy, Griff, Billy Goat Griff, was it? The guy with the beard? And the, there you go, thank you. Until I don't have children. With the horns. And we think that's what a goat looks like. And we think a sheep is a big, fluffy, white animal. So you are so convinced in 2020 in the UK that you can tell the difference. But they have been bred like that over thousands of years. And I have never seen a goat like, what's his name? Billy Goat Gruff. Billy Goat Gruff. I've never seen a real goat like that. The chances are that 2,000 years ago you would have stood in a field with a thousand animals and you would not have been able to tell me how many of those would have been a sheep and how many of them would have been a goat based on their physical appearance alone. You would only have been able to tell me by their behaviour. So when Jesus was telling this story, he wasn't using a visual illustration. He was using a behavioural illustration. I'm going to come back to that, but let me read it to you first. In fact, before we do that, can we even pray? Because part of our vision this year was that we were going to speak to the rock, we were going to see the living waters flow, and we were going to give him all the glory. So let's start by speaking to the rock. Can we do that? Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for all that you've done in our lives. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have brought us into community and not into isolation. 
Lord, I pray this morning that you would open our hearts to what you have to say to us. Lord, we thank you that you make it so easy and so comfortable for us in England in 2020 to hear the word of God. Lord, we, we want to raise up our brothers and sisters around the world at this time that, that maybe don't even get this opportunity. But Lord, that we do see that living water flow, that we see it flow over Hillary's hips. Lord, that we see it flow over Lisa and the cancer in her body. Lord, that we we see it flow over Jonathan and Beulah as they're fighting off this incessant cold that they just can't get rid of. Lord, and anybody else that's stayed quiet about their infirmity this week. Because Lord, we do love you and we do trust you. We know that you're a Jehovah Jireh. We know that you're a God who heals. We know that you're a God who saves. And we know that you're a God who's living and speaking to us this very day. So Jesus, we invite you through the power of your Holy Spirit to join us this morning. Minister to our hearts and minds about what you meant about sheep and goats. Jesus, we love you. We commit this time to you. Amen. So Matthew 25, 31 to 46. I've broken it into five or six paragraphs to make it easier for me to read. I'm going to take a little pause in between to help it, you, you categorise this in your head, departmentalise it, because it's, it's made up of slightly mini-stories into one. It says, When the Son of Man, by that it means Jesus, is in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a, sep- as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and he will put his goats on his left. If you want to visualise this, fluffy white animals, bearded animals with horns, I don't really care, it's not really the point. But he will put his goats on his left and his sheep on his right. It's an unusual way to start a story. We have the advantage of hindsight, so we know that Jesus is talking about when he comes back. We know that Jesus is talking about at the end of all time, there will be two types of people. The ones that came with him and the ones that didn't. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. I want to take a slight pause there because it doesn't say come those who have earned your salvation. Come those good and faithful servants who have worked for me your whole lives. It says come to me those who are blessed by my Father. And a blessing is something you receive from somebody else, not something you earn from somebody else. A blessing is not your wages. A blessing is a blessing. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes. And you clothed me. Did you ever think that that meant, those of you who have read your Bible have read this a thousand times, it's a common Bible verse. Just reread that. It said, I was naked and you gave me clothes. I had no dignity and you gave me clothes. I had nothing and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Next paragraph. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? 
When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Did you think that that meant those who were the righteous, those who did those things, didn't know they did them? Did you ever see that? They didn't know. I am pretty convinced, and this is where a particular thing called universalism comes in, and I want to be really, this is a bit technical, but I want to be really clearly about this, because this is heresy. Universalism says that when we die, we go to heaven, and we get given another chance to choose Jesus. Another chance. We have a chance here. Luckily for you, you've all heard me preach the gospel. So you know what Jesus has done for you. And you get to choose Jesus here. If Jesus walked in today to Eastgate Shopping Centre or Ashton Gate Football Stadium or West Ham Football Stadium and started to raise the dead and cast out demons, I'm pretty sure a lot of people would follow him. These guys did it without seeing Blessed are those who have believed without seeing These guys didn't know. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, your left. Did we put the goats over here or over here? I don't remember. My left. The goats. He will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed. Not blessed. Cursed. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison? And we didn't help you. He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Remember, parable, story. Didn't really happen, okay? It's an illustration. It can be a bit heavy, especially when we start talking about eternal damnation. But it's an illustration of what will happen or could happen. Before we go any further, I want to ask you to consider, and actually this really is my main point for today. I'm going to chat for as long as I can, really, another 25 minutes. But if you take one thing away from today, it's going to be this bit. Is that okay? So get your notepads out, put it in your phone, send yourself an email, tattoo it on your forehead, I don't care. But who was Jesus in this story? I'm not talking about the guy who's telling the story. I mean, who was Jesus in the story? It says he was the hungry one. It says he was the thirsty one. It says he was the stranger. It says he was naked. It says he was sick. And it said he was in a prison. Do you know what it didn't say? Is It didn't say he was a Christian. It didn't say he was English. It didn't say he was Jewish. His culture, our culture. It didn't say any of those things. But you know, first and foremost, guys, and here's your takeaway. First and foremost, he was talking in the third person. He was somebody else. 
our inheritance, the thing we get from this transaction, the thing we get from this revelation, the thing we get from this relationship, is our eternal salvation. So many times we read the Bible and we look for what we are going to get out of it. In Africa they call it the prosperity gospel. Here we call it either universalism or liberalism. We look for whatever we can find, the blessings that we will receive. So when we have no clothes, we want somebody to feed us. When the six clothes us, when we have no food, we want somebody to clothe us. When we feel sad, we want God to come and heal us. When we're sick, we want to be restored. We want our salvation. But we are called to be like Jesus. And in this, he spoke in the third person. He was talking about something else. Our salvation is enough. It's all I want. But in Western culture, we talked earlier on about salvation. It's all I want. It's all I want for me. It's all I want for my family. It's all I want for my brother, my father, my sister, my mother. So we're going to move on. When we come out of this point, we talk about the blessed and the cursed. So it could be tempted to, to, in the Christian faith, think that we are saved by these good works. Because we need to go out now, don't we, and clothe the naked, feed the sick, feed the hungry, heal the sick, take them to hospital. But it's not by the works that you are saved, and I, I stole this from a website, but it said these good works are the cause, are not the cause of the salvation. They are the result of the salvation. When you have been truly saved and truly transformed, be prepared that the Lord will change your heart towards these people. And I think it's a wonderful living word testimony how involved we are in things like the night shelter, 58-7, Christians Against Poverty, the street pastors, how much we give to things like food banks and overseas. But that's a corporate vision, that's the church itself. Within that many, many great individuals, Again, we're not talking about signing up uh, two hours on a Sunday morning or two hours on a Friday night, although if you want to sign up for street pastors, we'd welcome your input. This is a heart change. This is how we perceive ourselves within the world. Are we givers or are we takers? Are we givers or are we receivers? Because we receive from our Father to give to those around us. We're called to be the light of the earth, to shine in the darkness, not come on a Sunday morning to receive and then spend the next seven days spending what we received to come back and receive again we're called to receive continuously from our father in heaven then the king will say to those on his right come who are blessed by my father take your inheritance this was not about what we could receive but about what we are called to give i want to spend a little bit more time talking about sheep and goats i heard once a long time ago the best way you can tell the difference between a sheep and a goat is ask it to come with you. Because a sheep will blindly follow. You can, be, you can herd a whole herd of sheep with one dog. A goat will fight you even if you have a, a, a noose around its neck. It will pull and it will kick and it will bite and it will headbutt you. So if we ever describe this to our children, I don't ever get much further than that. Because I say, do you want to come with us or not? 
Because I'm not going to drag you kicking and screaming. Might do it through encouragement. Might do it through grace. Might do it through mercy. But what kind of Christian do you want to be? Do you want to be a sheep or do you want to be a goat? Do you want to be someone who follows Jesus? Or do you want to be someone who butts head with him all the time? Kicking and screaming. Dragging your heels. Do you know, I I learned that a, a sheep has a reputation for being a bit stupid. Are we stupid for following Jesus? Is it blind faith? Is it an educated decision? I know different people have come to faith for different ways. Or would a better word be dependent? Defenseless? Because the reality is if the devil wanted to strike me down tomorrow, he could. He could hit me with a car, he could hit me with a disease. If it was me versus him, I'd lose that battle every time. But because I stand with Jesus, I win that battle every time. If I admit that I am defenseless, if I admit that I am maybe even a little bit down, can't speak for you, can't speak for me. But for me, it's not a blind faith. Goats have a reputation for being incredibly independent, opinionated, curious at best, or vulgar, dangerous, and destructive at worst. There was a farmer who wrote that, asked to describe the difference between sheep and goats. How many goats do you know in the Christian faith? I want to be a sheep, not because I'm weak, not because I'm stupid, but because I want to be obedient, because I want to follow. I don't want to take this thing kicking and screaming. I drew a comparison, or I want to draw a comparison, to to something you find a little bit later in Scripture in Galatians. And we talk about it often here, it's the, the fruits of the Spirit. Do you know that? I tried teaching you a song once, and you were all too miserable to sing it. Love, joy, and peace. Do you know this one, Henry? It's Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Love, joy, and peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. You'll find them in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And if you're walking close to God, these fruits will grow in you. And you'll have love, joy. You can tell why I'm a preacher, not a worship leader, okay? Because again, I want to draw the comparison because one is about what we're going to receive and one is about what we're going to give. We are going to receive the fruit of the Spirit when we are saved and filled with the Spirit. And we are going to receive, and we're going to be able to give love and joy and peace. We're going to get patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And that's wonderful. I don't want you to read this passage about the sheep and goats and get you confused with that. Because this is saying, once you've received those fruits, let's go and do something with them. We might even call it evidence. If I looked at you and I didn't see the fruit of the Spirit, I might question whether you've met the Holy Spirit. If I look at the way you treat others around you, I might question the way that you've met the Holy Spirit. And actually, I I don't want to judge any individual here. I don't know you well enough. But I think we could be judged by our actions, couldn't we? We would certainly do it like that. Jesus doesn't. Remember, we're saved by grace. We're saved for these good works, not by these good works. But I would challenge you to read through this verse again in your own time during the course of the week. You might want to compare it to the call we have as a church and the vision we have as a church. If it's too much to take in, your second takeaway today is very simple and it's very common. Bible verse, we talk about it often, but it's from John 13. 
And again, it's Jesus saying, a new command I give to you. This was just before he left us. He says, love one another as I loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It really is quite simple. The verse we used earlier might give you a few more examples of what that could look like. But it really does come down to love. We had uh, the Vision Sunday a few Sundays ago. I want to repeat those things to you. What we're called to do as a body, what we're called to do as a church. It says, he will build his church. So we're not going to do that. That's Matthew 16. It says, we are called to be his witnesses. We are called to make disciples. We are called to serve the poor. We are called to serve the sick. We are called to give up our first fruits. We are called to be in community and we are called to honour and serve each other. We are called to be the least. The least will become the greatest. Even Jesus washed their feet. We are called to worship. That was Luke 4. I read that earlier on. That's why I could find it so quickly. But with our living sacrifice, with our money and our time and our attitude, we are called to give him our all. It's not just about sun worship. We're asked to work heartily for the Lord and not, not as, as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing from that the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We're asked to present ourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. A lot of people have been talking to me about this lately. But let us know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things they do. It is to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it to receive an imperishable one. A wreath is what they used to get instead of a gold medal. So imagine this is saying, these guys do it for a chocolate medallion that they're going to eat at Christmas. But we're going to do it for an imperishable medallion that will last for all eternity. I want to pray this over you. We're going to finish nice and early. It's only meant as an act of understanding what we mean by hospitality. Because when we talk about discipleship and hospitality, lots of people said, well, what does that mean? I don't really understand what discipleship means. So few people came to me and said, what does hospitality mean? So I started to ask them instead. And hospitality can mean, none of this is wrong, hospitality can mean inviting somebody once every six months to come for dinner. That's great hospitality. Making sure we have an open door policy in church. Anyone can come. Making sure we invite them to the youth ministry or the children's work, the messy church. That's hospitality too. Inviting somebody for a cup of coffee. That is hospitality. But there is so much of a higher revelation of hospitality that Jesus is calling us to do. That we could get so tied up in inviting somebody once every six months for dinner. That we could forget that we are called to clothe the naked. We are called to go into the prisons. We are called to, to heal the sick everywhere we go. That's our colleagues, our neighbours. Let's go and seek out opportunities. Let's start talking about overseas missions. Do you know we live in such a broken world that have so much, there is so much we can do and we are called to do it. Let's not settle for a lower revelation of hospitality. I want to see us in a season of discipleship and hospitality 
as a church and we will thrive because of it. We will see people's lives healed, saved and restored because of hospitality. It's already begun. So many people have come into the faith because they were invited for a messy church or for a meal or for a dinner or it was through friendship, through regular cups of coffee, through somebody actually walking through a difficult season of life with somebody. It doesn't even have to be a Costa coffee. It can be a coffee around somebody's house. It can be a text message once a day. It can be a, just not, somebody knowing that you're there for them. Hospitality has a higher revelation than this. So let me pray over us and we'll break for some hospitality. We'll have some tea and coffee and biscuits. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you have done for us. I thank you that we are saved by grace alone. I thank you that you are seeing and pulling and saving lives in Basildon, in Watt Island Park, in Living Word and beyond, in our brothers and sisters in the other churches too, Lord, we bless them. Lord, we thank you that you're in control. We once again trust our lives to you. Lord, we ask you to speak into our hearts about how we might minister this week through hospitality. Lord, who is the naked person this week? Who is the hungry person this week? Who is the lost or the lonely person this week, Lord? Because we know when we look at them, we are looking at you. They don't have to be white or black or Asian. They don't have to be English or foreign or Christian or Muslim or Hindu. Lord, every one of your people is your people. So Lord, strip away anything from our eyes that might, might hide those people. They might even be rich. They might be in the posh end of the time. They might drive a really nice car. And we would say, well, surely they should be doing this for us. Whereas actually they are the most lost. Maybe they're the ones who are hurting. Maybe they have more debt than we would ever dream of. And they're hanging on by their fingertips. Lord, show us this week how we can be you here in Basildon. Jesus, we love you. We give our lives back to you. We trust you. We ask you to bless our afternoons and our weeks. Lord, give us fun and fellowship as we have teas and coffees and meet our children again for children's work. Lord, we love you. Have a great week. In Jesus' name. Amen.